Welcome to a special mid-month special episode. Have I mentioned it's special? Because it's special, this is A Year in Horror. So yeah, hello, welcome back. I do love doing these mid-month episodes way, way too much. Uh, Each month I get to speak to a band whose music I enjoy and I just ask them to choose any horror movie at all, come on the show and just chat with me about it. So far, nobody has said no. (laughs) Now, if you're into this idea and... Most probably you are because you're listening to this. I would say why not check out the previous episodes uh, where I've done this. So we've got Video Nasties covering The Exorcist. We've had Svalbard covering Black Swan. 16 covered The Car. Mountain Witch they talked about From Beyond with me. Uh, Maps covered Come True. Death Hammer did Redneck Zombies. Mountain Caller, we went into sci-fi territory there. We did Star Trek First Contact. Tankard chatted with me about The Birds. Orange Goblin covered The Shining. Acid Witch, we did, oh, I think it was the original Maniac. Napalm Death did the remake of Dawn of the Dead. And for the most recent chat with The Locust, we covered Earthlings. And now we've got Night Demon and we're covering the 80s classic Fright Night. As I say, I absolutely love doing these and I want to just say thank you so much for listening to them. It is really niche, I get that, and it is my own taste. But I just love seeing that the stats for these things... Uh, And these odd episodes just grow and grow and grow with each month that passes. So it doesn't seem to matter who I'm speaking with. Uh, So yeah, again, thank you so much for it. And now on to today's guest. So for those that don't know Night Demon, well, they're a Californian metal band and they are heavily influenced by New Wobbam, the new wave of British heavy metal. And we're talking bands like Early Iron Maiden, Angel Witch, Diamond Head, Saxon, Witchfinder General, all that lot. And they sound just as epic as those bands, but with a very modern sheen in their production, but not too modern where it's power metal and something that I'm not really into. They're incredibly talented musicians to boot, and I can't recommend this band highly enough. I spoke with the founder, bass player and vocalist Jarvis Leatherby and I sort of love that he chose Fright Night to chat about. It's another 80s big hitter to mark off the list. So, with Fright Night, well, it's Tom Holland that directed it. He also did Child's Play. He directed The Langoliers and Thinner, both Stephen King properties there, The Langoliers and Thinner, that I absolutely loved and the whole world hates. Langoliers especially has a little fuzzy warm place in my heart. Uh, I loved in Fright Night that Charlie also loves horror movies. So instantly if you're a fan and you're watching this, you're just going to side with this guy. Although he is a bit of a chump. 
Uh, he's played by William Ragsdale. Chris Sarandon plays Jerry. He's the main vamp. Evil Ed is just completely annoying, but uh, he's also great, and one of the reasons I tend to come back to this film every now and again. Uh, he's played by Stephen Jeffries. And this film, it's an all-rounder, this thing. It's well worthy of a rewatch if you haven't visited it in decades. And if you've never seen it, what the hell are you doing listening to this? Press stop and watch the film and then come back. But before we head into this chat, I just want to let you know about the A Year in Horror Patreon page. If this is your first time listening, then maybe you'll love it. And maybe you'll want some more stuff in your ear holes. So let me tell you how you can get that sorted. Head over to patreon.com forward slash a year in horror and you'll find a bunch of extra content there such as deep dives into the video nasty phenomenon, loads of them, extra conversations with previous guests, there's radio show each month, uh, film reviews, lists, AMAs, it's all the usual nonsense but just a lot more of it. And that's it for now. I hope you enjoy listening to this chat as much as I did making it. This is myself and Jarvis. We're chatting all about Fright Night and Night Demon. What would you do if you accidentally discovered the house next door was occupied by something not human? Something horrifying. Something unspeakably evil. No one believes you. Nightmare. Not your mom. They did kill a girl over there. Not your girlfriend. Charlie, is this some sort of a trick to get me back? Not even the police. Look, I know it's crazy. I know that, but look, Lieutenant! It knows that you know. You'll do anything to protect yourself. But it will do anything to protect its secret. <laughs> This could be the night of your life. Jarvis, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. My story with you guys, I had no idea that you existed. I'd seen the logo on a couple of t-shirts uh-huh. and that's it. My friend Chris went to see you at London, New Cross. Okay. And he came back and he was so like, oh my, Paul, this band, this band. And he said, you've got to do it. So I did. And I was so blown away. It was literally like, I, I've got to speak to you guys. So yeah, um, there we go. That That's pretty much it. I'm so new to the game. It's crazy, but I'm, I'm a huge fan in like, what's it been like two months, a month and a half? It's crazy. About, a, about a month, month and a half, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Since we played New Cross, yeah. So, okay. First question, out the bat, COVID. Like I manage bands for a living. And- <laughs> so do I. Actually, I, I managed other bands too, yeah. Yeah, it hit pretty hard. Um, but I'm also in a band, and I know what that was like. And I've got to wonder, because you had such a productive pandemic. Sure. So was that all planned beforehand, or did yeah. you? Yeah. Oh, it was. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's sort of lucky, don't you think? Like, how, how it's, it's seamless. It's, you can kind of always look at life like that, right? You got to, like, look for the good and everything, but... 
You know, yeah, so what we had originally done is back in 2018, we had planned that in 2020, we were going to, when our our album cycle tour off Darkness Remains was over, we did the world twice over for that album. So it came out in 2017 and we ended up putting out a triple live album in 2018. So we just kept going off of that. So we said in 2020, we're going to do something a little different because we were writing a bunch of songs that weren't really cohesive for an album that kind of stood on their own. So we said, we're going to do singles. Like what's old is new and what's new is old. And we're like, let's just try something different. So what our plan was, was we were going to hit the road in April of 2020 and we were going to tour through about October. And every five weeks we would release a seven inch single and limit it to a thousand and have the A side. We'd have a video for it. We'd have a making of video and we would have the B side and that would be digital. And then the B side of the seven inch would be exclusive to just the vinyl. We were doing cover songs and stuff for the B sides. So we didn't do any pre-order or any announcement basically. So, so, and the idea was throughout the tour, every five weeks when a single will come out, we would kind of add that into our set. Um, so obviously the pandemic happened, but we said, Hey, we still have all these things scheduled. So yeah. let's roll with, let's roll with this. So it was great during lockdown. We had everybody's attention really. I mean, like, and we, every five weeks we were putting out a seven inch single and um, you know, it, it ended up being really fucking cool. And like, uh, you know, as a band manager yourself, you know, you, you always have to plan ahead anyway. So it's like, you know, I'm already working on 2020, like summer 2023 for stuff, you know? Yeah. So it's like, you, you got to have something in the can. You got to have something ready to go. And like, we were fortunate enough because especially with like vinyl turnaround times that we had all this stuff ready to go. And so we just kept unfolding it. And it was became like, it was perfect for lockdown because, you know, in lockdown, a lot of people got really, a lot of creative people started doing other things like podcasting and like, uh, uh, you know, putting out stuff online or make our YouTube stuff or whatever. But for us, it was kind of like people were locked down for so long. So it's like every five weeks, it's like, oh, here's a new, here's a new thing, almost like a subscription in a way or something. <laughs> yeah. you know? And, and people, but some of our fans were kind of like, man, when is this going to end? Cause we never said like, we never said like, this is our plan or like here, the next one's coming or this is it. This is the end of it. We, we just kind of kept doing it. So when that ended in August of that year, we, we started our podcast and it's run every week since then. So we're in episode 103 now, 103 weeks consecutively. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, we definitely stayed busy and we wrote and recorded a new album during the, that time that's coming out next year. So, so, so good. This podcast, like, I was. Oh, you checked it out. I've listened to the most recent episode, and I've already like had a flick and saved some episodes that I thought might be interesting. Yeah, yeah. You come across, and I don't mean this horribly, but you come across it's sort of like the monkeys on tour or something. You actually get to know the characters of the band. The instance on this one, I hear about you losing your bag, all the shit you had to do to go and just get your bag back. Like and and the club where you were so knackered that you said the wrong thing, uh, yeah. you know, on stage, <laughs> like yeah, hi Cleveland, or you know, yeah, and it's that sort of thing. Oh, this is brilliant! I want some more of it. It was so addictive. I was like, oh, hang on, have I got time to like walk the dog that little bit further? <laughs> so yeah, like, that. did you plan on it being being this wrong lung 
long running thing and also yeah. just give the fans exactly what they would want. Exactly. Yes. When we, you know, before, before we did it, we sat down and talked about, see, the, the thing is you should listen to the previous episodes because this is these tour episodes that you're hearing now, the most recent ones are the only ones where we've ever sat around as a band and talked together. Right. We don't, that's not, that's not our format. Our format is the band gets interviewed about things and we do our own commentary separately. We're not allowed to really talk to each other about it so that when you hear the stories, it's edited as a host and it's edited together in a more journalistic way. So the idea, the, the first 100 episodes are like that. It's, it's, it's all chopped together and it's basically, it tells the story of the band uh, from our own points of view. But nine, nine times out of 10, our stories match up and it's pretty cool. Um, and, you know, we record every show on the road professionally. So we oh, have- That is have, crazy. Yeah. And uh, we have a we have a subscribership when we have bonus content every week, like full shows, audio, video, demos um, uh, on the song episodes. Like our host breaks down the songs and he has the isolated tracks and we go through all that kind of stuff. Um, there's tons of people like a lot of people from our road crew and fans are always on the show, like giving commentary about stuff. And it's just, you know, if anything, even if. I always recommend this to people that aren't even fans of our band. If you really want to know what it's like to be in a heavy metal band and tour the world, like in, in the modern era, like this is just, it's a story of a real band that really does it, you know? I love it. And I also love that there was like a real busy night and there was a real quiet night. And like a lot of bands will never mention that quiet night. And you were like, no, yeah. no, there, there was like, like, was there 70 people there? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the sort of thing. I, I just want honesty from like the bands that I am. Yeah. You know, it's complete transparency. And, and in the day and age that we live in where nobody has any attention span at all, like for the people, for the diehard fans that listen to this every week, like they deserve to get, to really be on the inside, you know? And I figure better than posting on social media, which I mean, we still do, we have to do, but it's like, this stuff lives forever. So it's like, if there's already a guy writing a book about the band. So it's like, this is like his bibliography, you know, it's like, you got it straight from the horse's mouth. So, you know, it's like, it's great to be able to tell your story while you remember it because your favorite, I see you're wearing a Ramones t-shirt, you know, it's like, I saw the Ramones last very, very, the three last shows ever. Um, Wow. I was at that Palace gig and then I went to the Lollapalooza gigs, but like they, you know, talk about a band like that, that is such a rich history. Like when they do interviews about the past or when they did, when they were still alive, like in the late nineties and stuff in the early two thousands, like they tell the same stories over and over again, because it's like, it's hard to remember back that far. You, sure. you only remember pieces. So we like to capture the journey while it happens. And it's so much better that way and it's fresh in your mind and you can you can and and we do have episodes where we dive deep into past songs and albums and tours and you know it's sometimes hindsight is better to look at it but you don't want to wait too long because those those memories fade you know and yeah as i say i was so shocked at how professionally done it was and how slick and yet honest and again you're getting those as a fan, just imagine 
growing up, like yeah. listening to ever. And oh, they played here last month. Oh, here's the the live sound desk in right. my ears right now. That's amazing. So yeah, however you pulled this shit together, it's it's a lot of work, but but we're on a roll now. Like I said, it's been 103 consecutive weeks, and so we've got. We usually like to. <laughs> I mean, look at like right now we're about five weeks ahead. So we got about five episodes in the can and we have a full plan, but it's, I'm telling you, it's been touch and go sometimes, especially when you're as busy as us. Like um, sometimes it's like, it comes out every Friday and sometimes it's like Thursday night and we're like, okay. And like our guitar player is like doing the mastering on his laptop. And, but that's our commitment to it. You know, we said that we said that if we're going to do this, now, most podcasts don't last longer than 10 episodes. And it's like, if we said, if we're going to do this, we are going to do this indefinitely. And we're going to do this as long as we're around and we're going to tell the full story and we're going to go back and we're, you know, we're, we're going to dig it all up, you know? So that's what it is. Um, I've got one more question about yeah. the band and it's a bit more of a serious one. Um, and I've been thinking about this with uh, sort of bands that, for you guys, I see you as like this modern day, more, more, more shiny, yet still quite raw. It's hard to explain it, but just that taking what new wave of British heavy metal gave us mm-hmm. and then doing your own thing on top. And it's, and that is now set in stone. I'm not old to, enough to remember it when it happened, but I remember as a kid hearing about Diamond Head's Canterbury album and how that fucked yep. them. And later on in life, yeah, I read all about it, and it's so interesting what happened here. So they just tried something new, not something drastically new, not something completely out of there, but it was just a change. And does it concern you, like, uh, as Night Demon, to, like, well, I really, really, really enjoyed, like, the the intro to Welcome to the to the Night. Now, should we do a whole song like that? Does it ever, do you ever think yeah, absolutely. do that? Yeah, so like our next record that we have coming out early next year is a complete concept record. I wrote a movie script. I wrote wrote a movie script called Outsider, and it's based on the script. Um, And it's definitely a departure from anything we've done musically. It's it's still pretty heavy, but it's not a thousand miles per hour. There's it definitely sounds like Night Demon, but it's gonna throw the listeners for a bit of a loop. But here's the thing: repeating ourselves is not in our interest, and we're not a band that wants to make twenty albums either. We we don't want to be a kind of ACDC like where, you know, it's like we we have we don't need to write heavy metal heat again. We have that, and like it's. When, it's okay for bands to dig into the back catalog, you know? Um, for example, you know, I have here in my hands right now, since you mentioned it, Diamond Head's original tour programs, you know? And you can tell in the early 1980s, you know, that these guys, you know, were were rocking the, the new album and then they had, you know, they, they wanted to go to a major label and they, they played that game and stuff here, you know? So I am a yeah. fan. Right. It says here the story so far. Nice. And then and then isn't that a coincidence, huh? Unbelievable. I, I just have it. But but, um, you know, like it's I think it's great for bands to explore a little bit. I mean, you don't you don't have to totally jump the shark, you know, like, for example, like with Metallica, like I almost feel bad for those guys. Like I think Load and Reload, they're great albums. You could argue if they're 
good, great Metallica albums, but like, you know, those guys have one outlet. They've only been in one band. It's like, sure. you gotta, you gotta want, you know, you, you're, you, it's, those guys are forever judged on songs. They're forever, they, they have to go out every night and play songs they wrote when they were fucking 18 years old. Like, if I had, I mean, come on, who wants to do, you know, if I had to do that, like, fuck, dude, like, nobody would want to listen to that. So, um, no, we, we definitely, um, I'm really excited about the, this new one. It, it is, it's, it takes you, it's a concept album from the first note to the end, and it takes you through the whole thing. It, uh, and writing music to a story and stuff like that is, is, a, is a big challenge, but it's, it's a cool thing to do, man. So we still have, we still have what we have. That doesn't go away. Sure. So we, yeah. So add a little more diversity. That's got me proper excited as well. Because that's the, that's the issue with a lot of the bands that I love is that when you, I don't know, when you really get into a band, bands do make mistakes and it's hard to recover. But I just think sometimes when you do take that jump and you do take that risk and it is successful, that opens up everything for the well, band. That's it the reignites thing. everything. That's the thing. You know, I think that Night Demon is at the very ceiling of the underground traditional heavy metal world. That whole scene knows about us. We've been around for 10 years now. We've done all the festivals. We've we've toured with a ton of bands uh, from Diamond, from Diamond Head to Raven to Satan, except, uh, uh, you know, um, Anvil, whatever. We've done them all. But like, I feel that it's time for a new audience to come into that circle. I'm not, we're not making anything to try and appeal to anybody else by any means. I mean, we're just trying to appease ourselves, you know, um, and we're not going to cheap out on the fans and give them something that they've already heard either. And, you know, my theory is like, we get played a lot on like a lot of mainstream stuff, like Sirius XM radio, where we're sandwiched between like five finger death punch and like shine down or something. Right. And it's like, you know, I don't think it's, it's never too late to get into something good, man. And like, sometimes people just aren't exposed to shit. So like, you know, I got into Metallica on the black album and it exposed me to their whole back catalog. And I was like, this is incredible. You know, this, I, you know, so I'm hoping the same for us. And if not, you know, time, time will always, Time will always tell, you know, but it's not a Canterbury Tales in the way. That was a pretty big departure. But, you know, me and a friend of mine have really gotten into that record as of I love eight. it. I love it's it. It's fucking great. It's fucking great, man. <laughs> Every time I hear Kingmaker come on, I'm just like, whoa, there, guys. It's, it's a I, great album. Right, all right, all right. It takes time. You know, like, even like I'm a huge Kiss fan, but now it's like, I've I've heard the classic kiss. Oh, dude, dude! I've heard the classic kiss stuff so much in my life that like now like my go-to is like Hot in the Shade, like a record I would have never listened to when I was thirteen. You know what I'm saying? But now I'm like, okay, it's time now for this. You know? And I'm like, this is fucking this jams. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't. Do you know? I'm I'm way slicker than this normally, but I've got no way to go from there. To, to horror no, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so, so let's just like smack into it like a let's car uh, right okay so this is ostensibly a horror podcast but what yeah. I need to know and what I ask every guest on here is what's your history with horror now you're called Night Demon so I'm expecting it's got to be something Night Demon has a lot of horror themes especially 80s 
themed horror, right? So I grew, I was a child of the eighties and, um, and the nineties, you know, but I, I was born in 81. So, um, I grew up in Southern California, but like suburban, suburban Southern California. So about an hour North of LA and a bit, a bit secluded. I grew up in like a religious, uh, like a Christian school. And um, my parents weren't very religious. They just wanted me to have a better education, you know? So like in the eighties, you have like the height in America, you have the height of like the crack epidemic. You have the height of the, the satanic panic. You have all of these cultural things that are happening where um, any kind of subculture that's fucking cool, like things we like, like heavy metal and horror and stuff, is getting completely brutalized in the media and by organiz- government organizations like the PMRC, or in right. my case, the church, right? Right. Like stepping in and trying to control everything that's going into the ears and eyes of children, right? And you take you have these extreme cases of child abductions, um, serial murders, and all this stuff, and it always kind of gets pointed back to the the counterculture of heavy metal and horror. Okay, so that's kind of the era that I come from. So me, it was for me, it was just when you're a kid, what what do you do? You know, you're, you you do the things that people won't let you do right so like i always i'm always uh i'm always i'm always a little skeptical like i've got a lot of friends that are super cool and they have young kids now and they're like they bring their kids to parties they like let their kids listen to what they want to and they bring them to concerts and stuff and i'm like they're like i don't want my kid to be a weirdo and potentially have to you know get fucked up like we did and i was like yeah but you got to understand this like whatever your parents say is cool is not right. So like, right. Be careful of that. Right. So, but for me, it was like, it was rock and roll and horror was rebellion. You know, my parents were super cool, but not, they were still protective. And like that, that stuff was for, was forbidden, not the music, but the, uh, the movies, you know, like when I was wow. really young, you know, cause I was like, think about it. Like I was, I was, when Nightmare on Elm Street 3 came out, I was like six years old or something, you know? So it's like, sure. but I, but I knew, I knew that uh, the character of Freddie and I, like, I was, I wanted to see that. You sneak, you, you sneak away to, to see these things. And it was taboo. I even had the, the trading cards. They had a trading card set called Fright Flicks back in the eighties. And I would, I would go to the baseball card shop and hide that I bought baseball cards. And like, you know, it was the thing, you know, parents were they were just trying to do the best that they could and and you know i had nightmares every night as a kid every single night i had night like screaming nightmares to where my wow. my kids my friend's parents would like set their watch by it like okay he's sleeping over again like let's this is gonna happen tonight you know so that's the long story of it that's not even the whole story but that's the that's the long of it um and so yeah horror has always been just amazing to me it's never made me want to do anything bad it's you know but it's just it's it's just what gets me off man so you would have been privy to to seeing all these freddy krueger ads growing up at quite, oh, yeah. quite the young age then absolutely. that must have absolutely scared the shit out of you being that age 
it did, but it's like I was attracted to it. And like to the point where like even if I watch movies alone sometimes by myself in the dark, I, I do still get scared. And there's like that kind of adrenaline rush. Like it's great to to watch a f- I went to, last night I went to the to the cinema to see a, a film, you know, and like seeing it in that environment is like where movies are made to be seen. And we, we rarely have that these days, you know. So like it was part of the American culture, Jason and Freddie and Michael Myers, you know, I mean, you're watching MTV as a kid and you see the ads for these things and stuff and you start to identify with the character, almost like with Star Wars, you don't even need to watch the movies, you know, the characters, you know, so. So you've chosen of all the movies that we've done and all the ones that were left of which there's millions, you've chosen Fright Night. So we sort of now know why it's an 80s banger. We know yeah. that now. Yeah. Um, but why in why Fright Night in particular? What was it about Fright Night that made you go, oh, you know, if I'm going to have a chat about one, I'll do that. Yeah, I feel like to me, it's, well, it's my second favorite movie of all time, actually. And my first one's not a horror. Uh, that's uh, Back to the Future. It's my, my first favorite. But uh, yeah. Fair. fair. But Fright Night is, is, to me, is like encompasses everything about that era of filmmaking. And it does it in a way that's completely terrifying, but at the same time makes you feel cool. Like you're like you're you're a part of it and you're like you're you're like living in that scene. But also there's a lot of like tongue in cheek comedic moments in it which it's it's got it's got every element you could want in a in a in a film especially you know a vampire flick which is like very hard to to do because there's been so many great ones before that but really like the the beauty about great horror cinema it's the balance between fright and comedy because like laughing and being scared are the basically the same emotion it's 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 yeah. it's the same emotion and like you have to there's all you can only make something super fucking scary if you if you you get that jab in first with the easygoing comedic moment that sets you at ease so you can really fucking hit them hard the the great thing i think about this one is there is those little bits that as an older person you can latch on to that you didn't latch on to when you were younger which you, which is such a easy trick to do but so many films that i watch from the 80s never do it well just calling like one of the leads peter vincent you know is enough to know oh as an adult i know where they've got that from when i'm younger i'm right. just thinking oh peter vincent yeah He's Peter, Cush- Peter Cushing and Vincent Price, right? Sure. That's a good, yeah. yeah. I, I, I dug that later <laughs> on when I came to it again. But like when growing up, I was just like, okay, they've just called this washed up actor guy, Peter Vincent. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about a particular scene in here, which gives me the creeps. And I, I really get wound up by it every time. It does it every time. And I forget it's happening. Um, is when he just has everyone with him and he goes into the house and he says, look, this guy's a vampire and everyone just misses it by a second. There's no reflection in the window. Oh, sorry, in the mirror. The mirror, yeah. yeah. Or, and, you know, he passes a couple of tests, but he's done the wrong tests. It's just like, oh, it, it really gets me. And it, I'm just like, oh, man, it was so close. Do you realise how much trouble you've caused me? Spying on me. <laughs> Almost disturbing my sleep this afternoon. Telling policemen about me! 
deserve to die, boy. Uh, so I, uh, that's the scene that I love. Is there any particular bits in this that you just think? Oh, oh no, that's I nice. mean, there's actually a lot in this movie. That's why it's my second favorite <laughs> film of all time. Man. Like, there is so much here. But, you know, there are some things. I think Salem's Lot was a big influence on this uh, film. Right. Uh, but, you know, Tom Holland, the director, the writer, director. I mean, this was kind of basically his first big time out to do something. And so it's kind of like a band, a great band that makes their first record. It's like you have your whole lives to do it, right? You've taken everything you've learned up until that point. You're putting your best foot forward. It's your one shot to make it. Everything's riding on it. You produce your own record. You know, you're involved in every aspect. And that's what I think is what, it's what makes great films is when there's a writer director, you know, um, who knows how to write, you know, because nowadays you see a lot of people out of film school that know how to make movies, but they, they, they're, they slack on the writing because they're actually just, they're concentrating more on the technical aspect of it. Right. Cool. But, but, you know, uh, great, great story. There's just like a great song. We'll, we'll make anything. We'll carry it the whole way. But, you know, this is like, I, I, again, growing up in like 80s suburbia, this is like, I could totally relate to this kind of story. It's not something that happens in, on the streets of New York City or, you know, and I love all the gangster films and stuff like that, or Taxi Driver even. And like, but I just, I, I just don't relate to that. I relate to just being like, hey, we live in a boring town in a boring society and nothing ever cool happens around here. And then, oh my God, a vampire moves in <laughs> next door and he's charmed the pants off my mom and my girlfriend. He's turned my friend into a fucking ghoul <laughs> of the night. Peter Vincent, my our last hope, does, who's a washed up husband, doesn't even believe me. The cops don't believe me. One of the best scenes is when he calls the cops. He calls the cops <laughs> first to go and the cops like goes in and interviews them first and then the scene they have the exchange they have when the cops get in the car it's just you, uh, you know I've watched it a hundred times so it's just like what are you what are you talking about like crazy you know like just the 80s over exaggerated character actor you know yeah like, it's like this yeah. is my one this is my one line you know um <laughs> but no it's there's there's so many scenes that are great but even from the I love how the movie opens. You know, you always need a good intro. And just like with the classic Peter Vincent scene, he's got the, you know, uh, the television is on, right? Then you yeah. have, um, you know, he's trying to make it with his girlfriend. She's not having it. Then in the background, you have the classic newscast about somebody be being missing or murdered, right? And then Brilliant. they're carrying a coffin next door and like he's the only one who sees it, right? It's like, that's another great part of a good storyline. It's like the nobody believes the main character you know and then at the end it's like how could they not believe him you know his days are numbered all he's got to do is get a handful of people to believe him that's all he's got to do and he might be okay uh yeah i i as i say that's, that's just sort of everything there builds up i mean and the, the best thing is as well, is it doesn't give you shit effects like a lot of the films did at no. the time the effects are great in this the, the, the practical effects are amazing. The pencil through the hand, Jerry Dandridge's hand, is incredible. The, um, the, uh, the, the morphing of him changing into the vampire, you know, was, it's just his prosthetic makeup was, was insane. It looked very real, like his face, like it wasn't 
it wasn't a mask in this, you know, whole like the the scene where Evil Ed changes into the wolf is incredible. Crazy. Yep. Yeah, and he when he when he gets the the piece of the stairway banister impaled through him, and then him changing back and just you know, I mean. Uh, yeah, the practical effects on, on this are amazing. Plus, just the overall lighting and the mood, like just all of the mist and and stuff. It's it's not overdone, but it's just it's very eighties. But it's it's not overdone. It's just enough where the, the the suspense is already there, so you're not like it doesn't distract. You know, like when they're in the nightclub too, and he's seducing Amy. And all of those effects and stuff, the lighting and the, the the mood, the mist of it is just, oh man, it's just so fucking amazing. Cinematography is great in this film. Yeah. This, one of my like, ball aches about this film is after the nightclub scene, everything mm-hmm. seems to be about Amy uh, and, and the main vamp. And it, it bugs me a bit because I want to get more into anything else but that like that the whole sort of love story is it going to happen isn't it and it, it, it bugs me but that's the only thing you know when you're trying to find something that it right. isn't great with it could you find anything because i didn't ask you is there anything that not that doesn't work well, just to touch on that really quick i think that the reason why that needed to happen was because charlie the main character is he's got no balls and this is the moment that actually forces him to have some courage. And at this point in the film, that character displays an intense amount of bravery. I mean, he's the first one in the house on that mission, yeah. you know? And I think that is the arc of the character. And there needs to be a strong why. And if it's the love of his life, you know, and he's got nobody else, nowhere else to turn to. It's kind of, and like you said earlier, his day knows his days are numbered. That is kind of how it goes. But I do agree, like, it would have been, see that now that I don't want to get into the sequel, but in the sequel, it's great because it's just Charlie and Peter against Jerry Dandridge's sister. And it's way more about the two of them. You is know? it the same casting? It's, 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 Roddy McDowell and um wow yeah yeah and um but it's against uh Dorothea Dandridge which is Jerry Dandridge's sister who's out for revenge so Charlie's in college now he's got a new girlfriend and he's got to hook up with Peter Vincent again they're still buddies and they have to kill the sister now so it's I highly recommend I can't wait I'm gonna, I yeah. can't wait to watch yeah. it. I've never seen yeah. it yeah wow don't watch any of the remakes but but um but the sequel anyway so what let's see if there's anything that bothered me in the film uh it's tough to say but how i don't know i really don't know Um, if it's your second favorite that's gonna be so hard to pull anything out of that yeah but you can always pull something out it's so writing is impossible it really is like there there's always something that you can that you can overanalyze and go, wait a minute, like that. Of course, in films, like in, in fantasy, there's there's obviously moments where you're like, that would never happen. You know, that would never happen. I do, there, one thing that always bothered me but doesn't bother me anymore is, you know, Jerry's uh, assistant, you know, when he gets killed on the stairs yeah. and he just, it always bothers me because it's like, well, what is he? 
like he's obviously not a vampire because he's a daywalker, right? But right. like they just like they shoot they shoot him. Peter shoots him with a gun like nine times, and he gets up, and then nothing happens. And then when they when they so the bullets don't really kill him, but then when they get him, like he just turns into this fucking like glob of shit, and like ah, like turns into mush, and like it's just. But now I like that because now I'm like, that's cool. How there's nothing original in horror monsters. Like who cares what he is? He's just this thing. Like that's fucking cool. And then you move on because he's not the main target, right? So that's it. They're, they're the sort of things that you can look over. Like if you if you are really tight on vampire lore, then which film are you choosing that from? If he's a familiar, which one are you going to pick that, oh, that's the true one? You know, there is so many different adaptations. Right. It's just Dracula, let alone any vampire lore. So yeah, it's, it's I, I say anything like that, you can look over that. I think so too. They did stick to all of the, the tropes and the cliches of, of a vampire on this one though. And I thought that was kind of cool because it's kind of like this, I, I was thinking about this because I watched a film last night. Actually, after I went to the movies, I saw the Black Phone at the cinema. It was pretty great. But I then saw I it saw... last night as well. Oh, That's no. mad. <laughs> Are you serious? No, wow. I did. <laughs> okay, okay. Wow, we should have done a review of that. But uh, <laughs> but I came home and I saw um, uh, something on Shutter. It had uh, Barbara Crampton in it. It was um, called Jacob's Wife. And yeah, it's great. It's yeah yeah but so in that film i was kind of like going okay so now we're in 2022 it's like just culture in general you can never have a film with a vampire in it where people don't know what a vampire is or how to kill it right or what right. its weaknesses are of course nobody's gonna believe you because vampires are like the tooth fairy or something like that but you gotta know the methods and in this film it's brilliant. They never talk about it. They just do it. They're like, all right, wooden stick. Uh, I got some holy water. You know, it's like, and it just works, you know? So, uh, but I do love in Fright Night how they kill Jerry Dandridge with the sunlight and he turns in. I love the beast that he turns into and oh, it's right. amazing. But I love how they, that's how it's done, man. Like they just, and it's not something where it's totally unbelievable where they're, I hope people listening or watching this, uh, this total spoiler alert. So if you've come this far, it's, you know, but, sure. but basically, you know, they kill him. It's not like he overpowers him because he's being overpowered by this guy physically during the whole film. So, you know, it's just creatively like bashing the windows, you know, where the sunlight can come in. But again, like here's what here. Well, maybe that is something that bothers me, but, but like, you know, wouldn't you just, panel those up like why would you even take the chance right you know exactly right i don't know well you know overconfidence can be a weakness yeah right, That's the right. Thing. so before we go i need to know is actually i've got two i'm gonna do two final questions yeah. if i may yeah. so i want to yeah. dip back into the band um before we go but fright night 85 i have seen that remake i did not rate the remake <sighs> But can this still resonate with audiences today that haven't seen it? So if they have got to the end of this, and we've just spoiled it, sorry. But yeah, does it work in today's climate? Absolutely. I think especially because we have so, we're in, 
we're in the retro phase of of the 80s at the moment actually i think we're a little past it i think we're kind of getting back into the 90s retro phase now we've kind of hit that but yeah i believe like stranger things which is the most popular show in the world right now has brought like literally your mom's seen it you know yeah. so like i think that that's brought it back okay but why, why I think Fright Night will resonate more with people is because everybody sees Stranger Things. It's like, Fright Night is the real deal. Stranger Things is a fantasized love letter of everything that we might have cherished from the, the era. You know, sure. it's like every, they, they, they have every piece of uh, extravagant clothing, um, uh, every gadget, every piece of music do you know what i'm saying yeah. like it's it's like they're they're able now to take okay now that it's been 30 years let's take all the things that we know now were cool and like can be put in this kind of time capsule and use them now that's not realistic that's not realistic so go watch a thing, something like fright night that's an actual piece of cinema that happened then and you can see how people really dressed how people really talked you know, they don't say, um, you know, in Stranger Things, it's like they're, they're, the guy, the pizza guy keeps saying, my dude, you didn't say my dude in the 80s. They didn't say that in 1986. They, nobody said, called anybody my dude. That's, that's like what people say now, you know? So it's, it's, it's always great to go back to, to, a, a real time, a real piece of, of, of history. And just the way people talk, they talk differently. It's this post mid Atlantic accent era, but it's still, a, it's still Hollywood. And there's still a way that, that, that people spoke to each other. That is a lot different than, than now. So I, I think, I think it's, it's very worth much worth it. And, and the, the modern audience would, if they like things like stranger things, they, they will love this. I, I totally agree. You will always know an actual 80s film by the sweaters that people are wearing, especially in nightclubs. What's that about? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, right? Dancing, right? But plus, plus, I will say one last thing here on that. The beauty that is 35 millimeter film, it, it just can't, it can't be replicated with any, with, with any digital filter or technology. They're getting better at it, but just, the, the frame rate that they use, these wide angle lenses, these flare lenses they used in the 80s, it has a certain cinematic quality. It makes it dreamlike. It's completely believable and you're completely immersed in the film as if you were there. The quality of the analog sound, everything, it's completely different. And we're out of that era and we're fortunate enough that we have these films now to be able to get lost in because it, it just does not happen in the modern era. Amazing. I love that. Thank you so much. Um, before, before I do let you go, I would like you to choose one song for us to play out by Night Demon, of course. But what I would like is for you to take Killed Pain in Screams of Night off the table because they're okay. your top two. So I would say anyone that just doesn't know you and scrolls will get that. What would you recommend for someone? Well, you, you touched on it, the song earlier, uh, Welcome to the Night. I would recommend that. Um, we did a, a little horror video on that, and that's a story about a guy who goes on a date with, who goes out with his girlfriend, and he, uh, he 
they go into like a fortune teller for fun. And that's a very 80s kind of thing to do. You know, it's like, it's almost like an 80s movie cinematically kind of lost voice feel. And, you know, he gets his fortune told and she says like, hey, you're the chosen one and gives him, there's something about you and gives him this medallion, which is actually the night demon sigil. Um, so it's like the symbol of our band. And he goes and he, he, you know, he's walking through town with this girl and they get mugged by a few thugs and he ends up turning into like this wild beast. It's kind of like a vampire werewolf thing. Again, I guess you know, I think you don't know what it is and hacks these guys to shreds and runs away and it turns back and you know, it's uh, so yeah, welcome to the night. That is one that's great for, for the horror audience. Jarvis, thank you so much. Hey, I appreciate it, Paul. Um, this was a lot of fun, and I hope we can uh, stay connected, man. I'd love to hang out one day and just shoot the shit. Thanks once again to Jarvis for coming onto the show. And thank you lot. Thank you for coming onto this journey with us, dear listener. If you want to contact me, you can do. I'm at a year in horror at gmail.com. Uh, if you're on Instagram, I think I'm on Walla, not Weller. As for more information on Night Demon, just go no further than the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast. As we say on there, it's so good. If you're into Night Demon at all or you want to just check them out, Go there. Loads of songs, loads of info. Every episode. It's brilliant. Fright Night. Night Demon. Good night. Good night.